Good morning, faithful listeners. You have tuned in to the P40 Ministries podcast, the one place where you can get a daily explanatory Bible reading to start your day strong. This is your host, Jen, bringing you a brand new episode out of Matthew. Hey, good morning, friends and faithful listeners. This is the P40 Ministries podcast with your host, Jen, and we are discussing Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 27. I realize that I haven't had a guest on the podcast in quite a little while, and uh, that is because I haven't been asking anybody recently, but I am going to soon ask a few people to join me because in all honesty, I really do get sick of the sound of my own voice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I love doing the podcast and everything, but every once in a while, I kind of wish I could just take it easy and let some of the other people answer the questions. So when I bring a guest on the podcast, I promise you it is completely a selfish motive. <laughs> It is so that um, the guest can answer all the questions so I don't have to. <laughs> so um, we'll talk more about that later and hopefully I'll get some more guests on the podcast very soon in case you were wondering about that. But for now, let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 21 verses 18 through 27. I will be reading out the W.E.B. version of the Bible as I always do. Oh, and also speaking of that, I uh, actually looked up the NLT version to see if I could ask permission to uh, Tyndale, who owns NLT version, to see if I could quote the NLT version in the podcast. Well, unfortunately, I cannot <laughs> because I'd be quoting the entire Bible and they frown upon that. So they don't like um, their version to be used to be quoted in entirety. Uh, and if I did do that, I would have to pay quite a bit of money <laughs> to um, to be able to use the NLT version in its entirety, basically. So for now, the WEB version is going to have to do. I do like the WEB version, but it is sometimes a little wordy. If you listen to my podcast yesterday, I was really struggling to get through the Joseph um, uh, portion of that story. And I had to do a lot of editing during that portion when I was reading, just because of the W.E.B. version, the way uh, some of the stuff is worded. But that being said, I love the W.E.B. version. I think it's fantastic what they did with it and that they opened it up to the public so that anybody can quote it, anybody can use it. And uh, that is why I really love the W.E.B. version. It's kind of funny. If you go on the W.E.B. version on their website, they're very snarky. And they're like, we believe the Bible should be free. <laughs> So I thought that was pretty funny. So anyway, I use the W.E.B. version for those of you who are new on the podcast, and that is because there is no copyright. It's in the public domain. But of course, you don't have to read out the W.E.B. version. You can read out of whatever version you have, whatever version you love. So turn with me in your Bibles. Let's go ahead and read this passage out of Matthew. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. He said to it, Let there be no fruit from you forever. Immediately the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree immediately wither away? Jesus answered them, Most certainly I tell you, if you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you told this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it would be done. 
All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. When he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? They reasoned with themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will ask us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all hold John as a prophet. They answered Jesus and said, We don't know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I always say that Jesus is very snarky. <laughs> and uh, I really do think he is. He's always super snarky to these uh, Pharisees. It's quite funny. But uh, in uh, verse 17 here, or I'm sorry, verse 18, it says that it was the morning. And he was obviously very hungry in the morning. Perhaps he went to go pray early in the morning as he often did and uh, didn't take time to eat. And so he was very hungry. And so it says that he was going into the city and he saw this fig tree by the road and he was he was hungry. He wanted some of those figs, but he saw that it had nothing on it but leaves. And I believe that uh, or I believe Okay, that was a really bad pun. Okay, so I believe that uh, it was actually not even the season for figs if we read this story from a different chapter of the Bible. But Jesus is so upset that there's no figs on this tree that he ends up cursing it. He says, let there be no fruit on you for forever. And it says here that the fig tree immediately started withering away. Many people ask, why did why did Jesus do this? Why did he curse that fig tree? You know, because there was no figs on that tree when it wasn't in season. I think the most clear answer is, how often in the Bible does Jesus talk about producing fruit? This is an object lesson to us. You know, it's not showing that Jesus is a mean person that goes around cursing trees. But he is cursing this fig tree because it wasn't ready for him. How many times in the Bible do we hear Jesus say, be ready for I'm coming back, produce fruit, you know, continually be looking out for me. And yet this fig tree had no figs on it. It was an object lesson to us that the people who do not produce fruit are going to be cursed. We have seen so many parables about Jesus talking about producing fruit and how in the end times when he comes back, those who did not produce fruit but claimed that they were Christians are going to be thrown into the fire because they weren't actually Christians. It says in the Bible that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That was a verse from, was it Matthew 7 we talked about? It's a verse explaining that even though you might know who God is, if you don't believe you need him, if you are not ready for him when he comes back, if you produce absolutely no fruit, but claim to be a Christian, and that's as far as your faith goes, is just understanding that there is a God somewhere out there, then you're a cursed person. Unfortunately, that is just the case. Jesus warns about this over and over and over. Make sure that your faith runs deep, not just a simplistic belief that there might be a God somewhere, but it has to be a faith that produces something. And Jesus doesn't care how much 
you really produce. He's even talked about that in some of the parables. He was talking about the man with the talents and how one person only had a couple talents and produced only a couple more talents. You know, God doesn't care how much you produce, but there has to be some growth. You have to be taking steps in the correct direction. It has to be a faith that runs deeper than just the preliminary thought, oh, there might be a God, because that's not really faith. I actually just looked up the definition of faith online, and it actually says here, Faith is specifically a firm belief based upon confidence in the authority and veracity of another rather than upon one's own knowledge, reason, or judgment, earnest and trustful confidence. So faith goes deeper, you know, and that is what Jesus is talking about here and why he keeps mentioning these parables one after another about producing fruit, having genuine faith. If this is that important to Jesus, that he, it seems like every other chapter talks about producing fruit, talks about the end times, talks about uh, him coming back and people not being ready. If that is so important to Jesus that he continually shows us these object lessons and parables over and over and over, we need to take that to heart. Understand that there is something more to this. So when Jesus curses this fig tree, it's an object lesson once again, almost showing a, a parable living, you know, that the people who do not produce fruit, the people who are not ready for Jesus when he comes for them are going to be cursed just like this fig tree, unfortunately. And that is the sad truth. So Jesus um, fi uh, curses this fig tree and immediately starts withering away. I believe there's another uh, chapter in the Bible that talks about the disciples the next day, or maybe when they were coming back or something, saw the fig tree completely withered, and they marveled at it. But as usual, Matthew does not give a whole lot of details, and he just says, when the disciples saw it, <laughs> they marveled at the fig, fig tree, saying, how did the fig tree immediately wither away? And Jesus answered them, most certainly I tell you, if you have faith and don't doubt you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you told this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it would be done. All things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So it's not just an object lesson about uh, people who don't produce fruit, but this is also a demonstration of faith in the works. Jesus cursed that fig tree and it started withering away immediately. It was unable to produce fruit at all at that point anymore. So Jesus is explaining his faith and how if they, the disciples or us, have this great faith, then we can also do the same things. In fact, if we have faith, we could actually make a mountain get crumpled up and be tossed into the sea. I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie. I think it was on Netflix for a little bit. It was called Little Boy. It was kind of dumb, <laughs> but it was also sort of interesting. It talked about uh, this little boy who had he wanted to have faith or something I can't exactly remember the whole details of the movie it's been years since I've seen it but the little boy ended up having so much faith that he wanted to move this mountain that was next to his town and the people were all kind of chuckling at him because he was just a little boy trying to uh have faith to move this mountain and uh he had so much faith that this mountain would move that there was an earthquake and the mountain actually moved <laughs> So it was kind of a silly movie. And there was 
almost no really Christian uh, aspect to it. I mean, there was a little bit, but it was just sort of silly. But it kind of like, to me, sort of brought home the idea of faith like that. You know, the little boy had faith enough to move the mountain so that an earthquake happened. When Jesus talks about it like this, you know, nothing is impossible really. It, it, and, and Jesus talks about nothing being impossible with God. So if you had that amount of faith, and if it lined up with God's will, of course, you could do anything because you have the spirit of God inside of you. Like I said, though, it has to line up with God's will. That is the one thing that I think a lot of people don't quite understand is that nothing is impossible for them. But if, if we're doing stuff for our own personal gain, as James talks about, then a lot of times the things we ask for, no matter how much faith we have, are just not going to happen. We have to make sure our motives are correct. We have to make sure that it lines up with God's will. Then God's spirit will be with us and, and nothing will be impossible because nothing is impossible with God. So James talks about a little bit, sorry, I'm sort of going off on a lot of different uh, tangents today, but there's a verse in James that talks about um, if you are asking, but you don't receive, then there is a motive that is incorrect. And so we have to have those correct motives. Obviously, Jesus knows his father very, very well. He knows exactly what's in, in line with God's will. He is not as humans. So he was able to do these things because they were always in line with God's will. All these object lessons Jesus was showing us, his power, his faith, all of these things were meant to teach his disciples and to teach us. So everything Jesus did was in line with God's will. So obviously his disciples are marveling over this uh, thing that Jesus just, just did about the fig tree. And, um, you know, Jesus teaches them about pure faith. Now, after this, uh, they go into the temple and the chief priests are there, of course, again. And, you know, it's just fascinating how unafraid Jesus was of the Pharisees because the day before he's going into the temple and driving out the people who were selling in the temple. By the world standards, Jesus should have been afraid of the Pharisees. They had enough power to kill him. They had a lot of power. They were kind of like the leaders back then. They were the religious leaders. They had power to get rid of people if they wanted to, and they did want to get rid of Jesus. But Jesus is unafraid. He doesn't care about the religious leaders and what they could potentially do to him and what they did end up doing to him. In fact, he knew they were going to do it. And still, he was sitting in the temple, still preaching out in the open where they could just come and arrest him at any minute. But he is sitting in the temple teaching and the, the chief priests and the elders come up to him and they're basically like, who gave you the authority to do these things? Like, what an absurd question to ask Jesus. <laughs> you know, looking at that now, we think that that's an absurd question. Back then, they were so insanely jealous of him that they're saying, who gave you the authority to come into this temple and teach these people? So Jesus, being as snarky as he is, he says to them, I will answer your question if you answer my question. And he's like, so the baptism of John, so John the Baptist, he says, where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it from man? This is a perfect question to ask these Pharisees. Jesus always had the right answer. He always knew what to say. 
And the Pharisees, they kind of huddle <laughs> together. They're like, well, we can't exactly say that John the Baptist's baptism was from heaven because he's going to ask us, why didn't you believe him then? And we can't exactly say it's from man because all these people here that are in the temple believe that he was this great prophet and they are, uh, we're scared of them. We don't want to get on the crowd's bad side. So they decided to say, we don't know. <laughs> which is just a way to dodge the question. In all honesty, they probably believed that um, John the Baptist was not of God. They probably didn't believe that he was a prophet who was doing those things with the authority of God to do those things. And the, you know, the Pharisees were so insanely jealous of anybody who had the message, you know, anybody who was teaching the scriptures that was not one of the Pharisees. They did not like those people. The Pharisees wanted to be a little clique. They did not want other people on the outside to also teach the scriptures. So they didn't like outsiders trying to, you know, teach people the correct way. And I think I've mentioned several times about how the Pharisees would just make up these crazy, ridiculous laws and be like, you know, this is what the scriptures say is to do it this way. And it would be absolutely absurd. And the Pharisees did that. They were always putting these horrible, burdensome rules on the people, just trying to make things as difficult as possible. But Jesus comes and he brings the truth to these people. They're flocking to him because they hear his message of truth rather than this burdensome message that the Pharisees are giving them. And of course, it's going to be more impactful towards the people to hear a message of truth for once. Perhaps in their entire lives, they're actually getting the truth of the scriptures. And so uh, they answer Jesus. They say, we don't know where John the Baptist's authority came from. And so Jesus says, okay, so since you guys can't answer the question, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. So since the Pharisees don't even know if John the Baptist had authority from God or not, they're not going to believe Jesus when he says, I have been giving this, given this authority from God himself. They're not going to believe him. They're not going to care. They don't care. They just want Jesus to go away, to stop preaching, to stop stealing their thunder pretty much. But we will talk more about this on Thursday. So join in on Thursday at 6 a.m., but also join in tomorrow at 6 a.m. and we will discuss more about Genesis. We are almost completely done with Genesis. We only have a few more chapters to go. I think we only have six more chapters, which is absolutely insane to me that we have so few chapters left in Genesis. Um, so we are going to be starting season two of the P40 Ministries podcast pretty soon. As soon as I finish Genesis, we will be in season two and we will be in exodus at that point so i'm gonna go with the seasons uh based on um based on the old testament so every time that i go through an old testament book uh, unless we get to the little ones I'll probably have a season change. So that will be a lot of fun. Share the podcast with your friends and family members. Share it on your social media platforms. Let people know it exists. Your word of mouth and your sharing it is how the P40 Ministries podcast is going to get found. So I appreciate every single person on here that is listening in, that is sharing it with your friends and neighbors who are around you. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Continue spreading the gospel. 
and have a wonderful rest of your day. God bless and happy listening.